to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And when your body is behind another woman's body in labor, I feel everything. And I could feel her her shoulders, I could feel the way that her back was reacting to the contractions. I could feel the way her bum was clenching, which is a, you know how your pelvic floor is clenching. I can feel, I feel them um, and the baby because I'm lifting the baby with the contractions. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Finally, three and a half months later, I am recording my birth story. I wanted to do this in the first six weeks, but the universe and COVID had other plans. This is a three-part story. You're going to hear about my birth from my perspective, from my husband Benji's, and my doula Danae's point of view of what went down June 15th. I'm hearing this for the first time along with you all. I asked my beautiful friend Alison to interview me today, as well as my husband and Danae. I'm so grateful for her. She has a beautiful mind and has asked such beautiful questions. I want to add that this is my birth story. It is not perfect, (laughs) like birth stories often aren't, And I want to acknowledge every other birth story that exists. They're all powerful, relevant, and perfect in their own way. And it really doesn't matter how our babies are born into this world. We're just grateful that they're born healthy, happy, and well. I also just wanted to mention that I missed out on a lockdown birth by about a week. And I'm so grateful for that. You'll hear that today. But... I just want to acknowledge that that hasn't been easy for everybody. And I'm sending out my sincerest love to you all if you didn't get the birth that you wanted or you deserved. I hope you enjoy it. This is going to go for over three weeks. Love to hear your thoughts. Slide into our DMs. We'll then have a week break and then we're back to the deep regular programming. Today, you're going to be hearing Danae's perspective of my birth. She was an incredibly important part of my birth and a wonderful woman. And we actually haven't had much time at all to debrief the birth at all. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this. We are going to reconnect when I'm back in Sydney to go through it all personally, but it'll be really interesting to hear this. So let's get into it. Let's start from when you got the call from Zoe, which I think was about a week out from Eva's birth. So not the traditional way most people work with a doula. Was it a call or an email and what did she say? So it was initially a text message, I think, that um, Zoe sent to say, because we had a mutual introduction with one of Zoe's best friends, I doulaed her birth. Um, and so it was a recommendation quite late on in the piece. Yeah, Zoe reached out and I gave her a call and she had let me know that her doula was unwell and that she you know, was seeking that doula support and that Mandy had let her know the experience that we had had together and how amazing that was. And, um, and so, yeah, Zoe gave me a call. What did she say? Because she's so... Um... <laughs> 
brilliant in many ways, but is really good at asking for what she needs. Yeah, she was very, very specific about everything that had happened in the past and what she wanted moving forward. Um, and she was had a very clear understanding about um, the medical indications that she had on board in terms of um, the gestational diabetes and timeframes and her understanding of the risk versus benefit. So in terms of those kinds of processes that I normally go through with clients, that step was completely skipped. Zoe was very crystal clear on what she thought she wanted, but also I could see from what she was talking to me about was um, a very clear indication of birth trauma from her previous birth. And um, that was very apparent to me from our first phone call. And I felt that that was going to potentially impact decisions and cloud um, clarity. And that's kind of where I see my role immediately is helping to remove those clouds. Mm, this is really interesting because... I feel like when she talks about Fox's birth, I mean, she has reverence for it and she has a belief that it was relevant and it went the way it went. But it's really interesting from your perspective to hear that come through as some type of trauma. Yeah. That must be very common with women going into their second or third birth. Do you find that? Yeah, I do. Um, and I think with any life experience that you have, you do, that does impact, um, you know, similar experiences that you're about to encounter moving forward. How could it not? And birth is the biggest experience, the biggest human experience, male or female, that the human condition will ever come across. It is the ultimate human experience. And when women birth, it impacts you whether you like it or not. Um, it does change you. And I think that a lot of women don't see um, that impact until they go to birth again. And then you see that impact in terms of their decision making because they make decisions about their, how they're going to approach their birth unlike they did the first time around because they haven't had an experience either positive or difficult. Um, and so that's what I see play out. Um, instead of, you know, women, I love for women to, whether they've had a bad experience or not, to tell me what their dream birth looks like, you know, regardless of what had happened in the past, let's put that aside and look at what that dream birth looks like. And why can't we go for that again? Um, what are the decisions that you have made this time around that you're going to use to approach this birth that have, you've come to those decisions because of the last experience, not because you're just going to go for your dream birth again. Did she in those kind of early conversations acknowledge to you that she may very well just go straight for an epidural and there probably will be nothing for you to do on the day or did she kind of dance with you and entertain this idea that hey i might try and go drug free no she was very clear that it was likely um, that she was going to have an epidural that she had that planned out that way um, but interestingly enough, she also said to me that she had this visualisation of her birthing on all fours, on the ground, um, in front of this beautiful uh, memorial for her mother um, with flowers. And, and I was just like, okay, I, can, I see that visualisation, but I don't see the decisions that you're kind of making to get towards that. The, the two don't correlate. <laughs> Um, but I didn't say anything because I think what's really important is that that's where you learn and I think it's just over time and experience how to still help women walk towards that dream without having an agenda for their birth um, because that's a very that's a really important thing to do is women have to play out their own birth journey absolutely and we need to support them to do that um, but I think keeping doors and windows and insight open for them um, is their important part so that they can choose that path um, without having trauma choose a different path. Ooh, without having trauma choose a different path. Oh, that hits in the guts. Um, so this is beautiful. So you go into the room, I guess, holding her vision in consciousness and hoping that it might go that way but without putting any steps in place necessarily to get her there? Mm. Well, we had made, there were still a few things up in the air. 
Um, we'd had a couple of phone calls after that around, you know, whether her her doula, her original doula, was actually going to be able to be well enough to come to the birth. I was at that point just simply a backup. Um, but I know that as even as a backup, um, you know, for whatever reason, I I completely believe in the divine purpose of birth. I know that when I'm at a birth, I'm meant to be there. And if for some reason a woman hasn't chosen me, then I'm not meant to be with her while she births. Um, and so I just kind of put that faith out to the universe. But I did get a feeling from the initial phone call that I would be with Zoe. Um, but we had danced around the idea that if she did choose to have an epidural, was it really actually necessary for me to even be there? Particularly, I guess, the way that I like to practice and the women that engage me. You know, I think it's important that women have their support anywhere, but I do know that my particular skill set comes with women in physiological birth. And I just wanted to make sure that Zoe didn't close any doors off on herself because I could hear in her voice what she wanted. Um, and, yeah, and then I could hear some of the decisions that she was making and I was like, okay, how am I going to make sure that without having an agenda for this gorgeous woman's birth that I help direct her to the window to see if she can jump through it? Um, and so we did make a few little, I guess, plans together around how we would approach that, given that time was sort of ticking on and her doula still had a cough and all these kinds of things. And I, just, I knew it was going to end up being me. But, yeah, we just went, played with the idea that, you know, maybe she could try and see if she ended up having to be induced, you know, maybe she could try and give it a crack. Um, was it really necessary to begin it with an epidural? So we just started to play with some of those ideas before the day. So at least I'd planted some seeds of thought in Zoe's mind and started to send her some meditations and things to do just to look at the quality of her mind and what sort of other preparation was she doing um, so that I could get in a bit of insight into what her mindset was going in aside from decisions that had been made in the past because of her first, you know, her first birth experience. And I'd also been, of course, I got a phone call from her doula saying, um, you know, when it was going to be me, um, if, it, you know, if Zoe did call me on the morning of her birth and say, it is time for you to come, um, because it was still up in the air until the day she birthed, um, that this is what she had planned and this is how the last birth was. And I had to take that into account um, because this is a woman who was with Zoe the first time that she birthed and did have some insight into how Zoe managed um, and what actually really happened from a different perspective and some of the things that this other doula was talking with her about prior to, you know, this point in time. So it was really good to get that insight and understanding because, um, yeah, that can be really impactful for a woman as well. And so I guess you're using all of this research and knowledge to inform what you will say and do in any given moment to kind of speak to her on that level mm. that she needs to be spoken to, right? Yeah. Like it's it's actually quite an intimate experience, even though you'd only really just, we, I'm guessing you hadn't met each other before the day. So we had met very briefly. Um, I did the blessing way ceremony for Mandy um, just before um, I supported Mandy's birth. So this was one of Zoe's best friends. And I, I just met her in passing. So we'd, you know, exchanged, you know, beautiful conversation, but wasn't anything significantly you know, meaningful, it was just she was another one of the gorgeous women that was there on the day um, and that was that. So, yes, this was the first time I was really meeting with her. Um, it was nice that we had seen each other before but, you know, I was really experiencing her properly that day. She told me that you walked into the room dressed in all black. She called you some kind of birthing ninja, I think she said. Um <laughs> I want to talk to you about, you know, specific to Zoe's birth, like the physical strength required to assist a birthing woman. I feel like, you know, she said she didn't come in in some flowy dress, like she came in dressed to work, you know. Yeah. And I think this is fascinating because I don't know how many people are aware of how physical, obviously labor is for the birthing woman, but also for the doula or some kinds of doulas, I'm assuming. Yeah. 
when I arrive, it's funny that Zoe said, you know, you arrive as a birth ninja. Um, you know, I mean business when I arrive to a birth. It is very physical for a lot of women. Some women it's not. And there's different types of doulas. And the type of doula that I am is, you know, an optimal maternal positioning birth educator. And that is all about the body work that is required to release muscle tissue, ligaments, uh, fascia, everything that connects the pelvis together to enable um, the best flexibility and range of where that baby is going to move through. Um, and that requires a lot of strength and a lot of work because, you know, women are all different shapes and sizes and have all different types of physical capabilities. And the body work that is required with the weight of the baby and, you know, it's all during contractions too. So to move a baby or to assist cardinal movement of a baby, which is what Zoe needed in her birth, is quite full on. Yeah, I like to walk in and, and for people to feel like I'm in business because then they feel trust, like they're in good hands. I'm not there to just watch and watch the birth unfold. I'm there to really get in there with a woman and do the journey with her. Mm. I think she was um, taken by that in, in quite a beautiful way. And, you know, if I can perhaps um, delicately speak on her behalf, not having her mum there, mm. um, but wanting her mum so badly, but having you as this kind of very strong, trustworthy, experienced maternal figure, I can only imagine how much strength that gave her in the moment. She actually told us about this particular move <laughs> that um, you asked her to do and she said it was quite painful, mm. but it got the labour progressing with more purpose. So can you take us yeah. to that moment? Did that happen early on when you got into the room or had there been some time passed before that yeah. happened? It was the lifting. Yeah, the lift and tuck. Yeah. So initially when I walked in, and I guess I think it's just with experience, um, I could see that she wasn't in what I see as progressing labour. Um, so I study contraction patterns, um, looking at, you know, a woman's state, how big her pupils are, different flushes in her skin, and I could see that it wasn't, we were tinkering around the edge of active labour. And I think a lot of women don't actually realise that established active labour is continuous symmetrical contraction patterns because they're having an experience with their body and they're contracting, they think they're in labour. Um, but established progressing labour isn't until you've got these really good symmetrical contraction patterns. So I could see that when I arrived. She was contracting beautifully, um, but we weren't really her state hadn't shifted to me. I could still talk with her very clearly, although her contractions were, you know, getting very intense. Um, her state in between the contractions wasn't the state of a, of a woman in active labour. Um, so I immediately began um, the body work. So I do a series of, um, you know, body work sets prior to those lift and tucks because if I can avoid those lift and tucks, I do because they're not always amazingly comfortable. <laughs> Some women can tolerate them really well and others it's really tough. So we did um, a full set of the other optimal maternal positioning pelvic alignment protocols, which are beautiful. So a lot of women really enjoy those. They're quite passive. We do um, pelvic floor releases, diaphragmatic releases, um, psoas and um, hip flexor releases, sacral tuberous ligaments, um, sacral iliac ligaments, uh, more pelvic floor relaxing and round and broad ligament relaxing. And I still couldn't see a change in the contraction patterns. So a little bit, but not enough. Um, so I study those contraction patterns to make sure that we're um, you know, really seeing with the body work that we're doing, that we're seeing results from them. Um, I then had a quick chat with the midwife because I said to her, I suspect there's a deflexed head. So what that means is that the chin, the baby's chin hasn't tucked. And if the baby's chin hasn't tucked, then the smallest part of the baby's head um, isn't coming down. And it can often sometimes mean that the baby's, you know, the forehead can be resting on the pelvic brim, so they're not quite tucked down into the pelvis yet. Um, so when you don't have symmetrical pressure on the cervix, then you don't have symmetrical contraction patterns. Um, and so I had a quick chat with the midwife and she said, I said, have you done an internal exam? 
which she had done earlier. And I said, can you tell me what you felt? Um, and she said that, yes, it could have correlated with a deflex head. And I knew immediately straight away. I had a suspicion that it was anyway. I just it was good to have that confirmed by, um, by Annalise. And, yeah, so I said, Zozo, <laughs> we need to do these lift and tucks and we need to do 10 of them. If we're going to start, then you need to do 10. The protocol is 10. Why is that you can't stop halfway if it's too painful or? Well, because the manoeuvre, if you stop halfway through and you don't get the baby all the way in, then what's the point of doing any of them? Um, And so I feel like that's with any sort of thing that we do, um, that I try to stick with my clients with in birth, is if we're going to start doing this, you know, OMP work, we need to stick with it. We need to finish the job. Because I know that sometimes it can be challenging, but it's going to be a lot harder if we don't move your baby and it's going to add an extra seven or eight or more hours of labour to your labouring journey. So if we start now, we're not going to stop. And I promise you, if I get it right, if you work with me and I get it right, you're going to see your baby very quickly. And how did she handle them? Yeah, it was hard. Um, but she she did so beautifully. And I I, I could feel... It's, it's the most extraordinary thing when you, because you have to stand very close to a woman to do this body work and particularly with those lift and tucks, if I do them from behind, you can do them from the front, but I really needed to do these ones from behind because I suspected the deflex was quite significant. And when your body is behind another woman's body in labour, I feel everything and I could feel her her shoulders, I could feel the way that her back was reacting to the contractions. I could feel the way her bum was clenching, which is, a, you know, how your pelvic floor is clenching. I can feel, I feel them um, and the baby because I'm lifting the baby with the contractions. And so I, the first couple of times her body was very tense, um, but Benji was so beautiful. He was in front of her and holding her and talking to her and just she was just relaxing that little bit more as she got used to what it was going to be like, and which, it, which is very normal. What is this going to feel like now with the contractions, feeling your baby move, feeling different pressure um, and feeling people that close to you? You know, women are like avatars in labour. They're very, very sensitive to energy, to sound, to touch, to smell, to everything. Um, and so her adjustment period was actually quite quick. You know, after I think it was about the fifth or sixth one, I felt her baby really move. So I I do have a moment where I feel the babies tuck the chin and go down. And it was about the fifth and sixth one. And I said to her, darling, I think, you know, we've got it, but let's continue to the 10 to just make sure and then I'll get, I'll get your baby right down there. Um, and so we did, we continued and the contraction pattern was two minutes, two minutes, every two minutes and she was having a contraction and I showed the midwife and I said, one more contraction at two minutes and we're done. And I said, Zoe, just do one more. And she was like, okay, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. She was saying that to herself over and over. And, and Benji was looking at me like, this right. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to say anything. I I get it. And anyway, we did. It was the next, and I was like, the next contraction was two minutes on the dot. And I was like, we're done. Go and get in the shower together. Go and labor. Go and birth your baby. And it was Mm. done. And I turned the shower on, and the two of them got into the shower together. And it was on. It was on like Donkey Kong. Mm. Um, I'm so emotional. (laughs) I know. Me too. I just. I'll never forget, I never forget the feeling of the babies moving. It's like you just, and you know that what you've done is, um, you know, you know, for Zoe to put the work in to do that I know is really hard, but I knew then that she could finish the birth. If she was prepared yeah. to do that, I was like, she's going to have this birth now. Mm. Um, and she did it. It was all her. She's amazing. Oh. So are you by the sounds of it. (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Some more questions for you. She mentioned there was a point where you were asking her to let go. Mm. And so I have to assume she was still trying to maintain some level of control. Mm. You know, she's very type A as am I. Yeah. How did you know? Like how can you how did you identify in the moment that she wasn't fully how do I describe that in the birth type thing? Yeah. If it's the I know I have a very clear moment as well that I remember, whether it's the same moment that Zoe recalls or not, um, you know, remains to be told. Um, but when she went into the shower with Benji and started to really labour um, and I left them in there for a moment because I think it really is important to give couples space um, so that they can bond and have that time together. Um, and I just suggested that she put one leg up so she had an asymmetrical um, release in her pelvis because that's really helpful to make space in the new pelvis. And it was getting really intense because the labour was progressing really quickly. And she was holding on to Benji and I could hear in the sound that she was making, um, it's not like a kind of a sound. It had more peaks and tone in it. Um, and I could see she was trying to hold on to something. And even physically she was trying to grab up high with Benji and um, so I decided to go in and I sat in the bath next to them in the shower and she said to me, I'm losing control, I'm losing control. Um, and I said to her, you need to let go. And she said, I can't, I can't let go, I need to control it. And I said to her, the only thing that you need to control is your breath. That's the one thing you can control. You don't need to control anything else. And she said, okay. I'm going to focus on that. And I said, just relax, don't hold on to Benji so tight. Just relax your hands. And that's when she really just sunk into his body. Um, and the two of them just, oh, they just melted into each other. And she really softened then and she made a much deeper sound and I could hear this beautiful, smooth breath. And I just kept saying over and over, just control your breath, control your breath. And when she focused on that, um, her labour progressed really quickly. Um, and so I left them in there again. I said, it's, um, I just squat at the door so that they don't really know that I'm there, but I'm there. So I can hear the right sound and make sure she's breathing well. Um, and, you know, it wasn't much longer and she was starting to feel all the pressure coming down. So... Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. I think that, that span of time wouldn't have been more than 30 or 40 minutes until she moved from the shower. Fast. Yeah, it was really fast. Yeah. Mm. Extraordinary stuff to see that complete shift in state from the Zoe that I saw that was, you know, when I walked in the door that was so happy to see me and so, still full of interaction and um, energy and um and then to have that really good shifting state into like reptilian brain state where you really just like doing your hard laboring. Um, it's my favorite to see that shift in quality of mind. And it's, I'll I'll never, the magic will never be lost on me. Um, she said that there was also a point where she wanted no more fingers inside her. And I can totally relate to that. Mm. Um, it feels unnatural and unsafe like you're trying to protect your unborn child and you've got all these prying hands inside Mm. um how did you did you and how did you advocate for her in that moment because oftentimes the birthing woman may not be able to speak up and say and I'm not sure what Zoe's situation was but do you did you find a role there not so much in Zoe's birth, and I think that it can be very dependent on the care provider um, that is allocated to you on the day can determine how much I advocate for a woman or not. Um, Zoe's midwife was amazing, um, and she was very hands-off until she needed to be. 
Um, and that is very dependent on your clinical care provider. She could have had another midwife on the day that prefers to be more hands-on. And if that was the case, then, you know, certainly I would have advocated for Zoe. Um, but at one point, um, you know, as Zoe was thinking that she was getting close to needing to push her baby out, she said, are you going to have to give me an exam? And I knew with that language that Zoe meant, do you have to do it? Or because I don't really want to have it. <laughs> Otherwise, she would have said, give me an exam. <laughs> I want to see if my baby's coming out or not. Um, and I looked over at the midwife and just kind of shook my head a little bit. Um, and she said, no, she said, I can see your baby's coming down. We could see like a really nice bulge coming down through the back of her musculoskeletal system. So, um, it wasn't necessary. Um, but it, you know, if we'd had a different midwife, that could have been different. Mm. Yeah. She mentioned, um, you explained some line that signals how dilated a woman is. What is that? Can you talk mm. to us about that and where was hers at what point? Yeah, so there's a purple line um, that comes up from like the, the in between your bum cheeks, quite low, just almost above your bum, and it comes up all the way until it reaches almost that base of your tailbone or that low segment of your sacrum, um, and it shows um, dilation basically. Like it's not like completely accurate. It's not something that you can hold up a tape measure to and go, "Oh, she's you know six or seven centimeters dilated," but it certainly shows the pressure of the baby moving down. So the more that your baby moves down into the lower segments of your pelvis and the more the muscle tissue displaces, so the cervix starts to build up the top and create fundus or the top. So that displacement of muscle tissue combined with pressure creates this um, the nerve supply in that area to flush and that's what creates that purple line. So it's also one of the other um, sort of body messages that as doulas we often read but yeah Zoe was interested in that line I said to her I can see you've got a really good line coming up love and she wanted me to take a photo with her phone to show her so that she could see you know what was happening with her body Sounds which is like really Zoe. cool yeah yeah she likes to be informed I think that's one thing I've always really respected yeah. about her is her ability to gather knowledge and make a decision she was that's interesting that you say that because she was quite focused on the contraction patterns early on in the piece when I started to time them and tell her why I was timing them, because I always tell women why I'm doing what I'm doing, I think it's important that they are, you know, are really engaged in their process. She found that quite fascinating. She was really into that um, and she liked to know what was happening with the changes with the lift and tucks. I was kept saying to her, we're at two minutes, we're at two minutes. And then on the last one she was... I think it all went whoosh and didn't matter so much. <laughs> but, yeah, she was she was very um, – some women do absolutely go to a different planet. They are – their reptilian brain completely takes over. There is no thinking mammalian brain left and they are gone. Um, and sometimes, you know, they'll say this is – you know, when, after they've had their baby, gosh, this is the first time I've really seen your face properly since you arrived – Whereas Zoe still had a lot of clarity. She was still picking and changing the music that she wanted to have on depending on her energetic state and what she felt like she needed from that form of stimulation. Um, and she, there were a lot of shifts in human experience between joy, love, um, you know, despair and sadness um, complete elation and euphoria in between some of the contractions. Um, you know, she really was like a textbook of every single human experience played out between each contraction. It was the most gorgeous thing to see because you really see women for who they are. You really see their personality. And she's just so full of life in every capacity. Um, and you can see everything that she has experienced too that all plays out in your birth. And we've got little snippets of everything. It's like going through little flashcards of who someone is. It's quite extraordinary. I mean, she's she's extraordinary. Oh, she truly is. I remember she said when I interviewed her earlier, I don't know whether what she called herself, whether she, she said something about, oh, I think I was complaining a lot or being bitchy or something. I can't remember how she described herself. And I said, yeah, but like, we all know you and that's part of your charm is like 
it's kind of charming and you can get away with it because we know you're sincere and you're very loving and caring and all of these things. But one thing that came to my mind was like, as women, and I think particularly in birth, we've sort of been taught to be neat and tidy and silent and put together. And so I think in her circumstance, to be able to demand what she needed at any given time, I think is very powerful. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, You know, it's often, you know, I hear stories about women being told to say thank you during labour, which is just disgusting. Um, A huge part of labour is spontaneous expression. And if women are told to hold any of that in, they're holding their baby in. You try and hold any part of yourself together or in during labour, you're holding a baby in. Um, And I love, you know, I've seen women punch holes in walls. I've seen women with their eyes rolling into the back of the head turn into like, you know, it's almost terrifying um, for some, you know, for the untrained eye. Um, But I just find it fascinatingly beautiful. And to watch a woman's birthing expression come out is just, you know, extraordinary to me on every level. If you can't respect that, if you can't honour that, if you can't find the beauty in that, you're not in the right line of work Um, and you don't have a place around a woman in birth um, because you need to honour their transformation and how what they need to do, whatever they need to do to get their baby out is beautiful. Yeah. It will always be beautiful to me. So wonderful. Yeah. There was... um... A point she spoke about where she was, I think, on her knees, leant over the bed, and I think you were again encouraging her to kind of let go, and she said, well, I've got to get low because my bum's out and my fanny's out and I'm on display. Can you take us back to that moment? Do you remember when she then transitioned onto the floor? Yeah. So she did. She she was labouring on the bed beautifully. Um and I do find I don't like labouring on the bed because especially when they raise the beds up very high, it's like women are now in this platform. It's like a show. <laughs> and that's not how we should be. We should be in nests, grounded on the floor. Um, but it does, you know, it, it does have its place, you know, labouring on the bed. So it's soft on your knees. And if that's at some point where a woman does feel comfortable she was comfortable like that for a little while but I think it was very clear when she was starting to pass through transition and her baby was getting very low instinct kicks in and women are like and she was very quick to shift that up she wanted to get her pants off because she knew that a baby was coming Um, and I think once you remove women's outer garments it's time to get them to a place where they feel dark and grounded and connected and they're not you know everyone's down on their level um they're not up high on display um that was a very distinct shift in her mind i knew she was getting very close to having her baby then she was very tuned into her birthing instinct that's for sure and so she went down onto the floor did you put like sheets and stuff down or does the midwife do that yeah, so we got, there's a, um, like a rectangular mattress that's in most of the birth suites in each room so that you can do floor labouring or any of that sort of thing. We quickly got that um, mattress with a sheet over it. It all happens very, very quickly. Just pull a sheet off the bed, get it on the floor because when women want to change positions, it needs to happen immediately. <laughs> there's no <laughs> messing around. So she, yeah, she got onto the floor and then I very quickly, once she was on the floor, I very quickly clicked into what her visualisation was going to be for her birth. So she was on the floor. This was the moment. Um, I was like, we're here. She's on the floor. She's on all fours. So I got the picture of her mum. I got her flowers. I got the little cookie that Fox had bitten a hole out of and some of his beads and toys and put them in front of her. And I said to her, you're here. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> what she said on to me on the phone was that's what she wanted and I was just over the moon that she was there she was in her dream but I just oh my god she did it that just has to feel <sighs> so overwhelming to know that you facilitated oh my god that like getting her there 
and she said like Benji said it as well I think like that that would not have been their story if you weren't there and so yeah I mean I know people say thank you and I'm sure they thanked you but you really did give them something so powerful and so meaningful and wow I mean, it, it really was all her. You know, like all, all I do is try and open windows and opportunities so that if she's ready, she can jump through them. And, you know, yes, we support, you know, that cardinal movement and those things, but I, you know, she's the one that did all the work. She got herself there and she listened to her instinct, she listened to her heart, she listened to her body, and that's what made that moment possible. It was an honour for me to be there, that she did it all. Mm. The moment that her baby came out, I'll never forget, but just when she had it in her arms, I just, oh, I think my heart stopped. <laughs> <laughs> just watching her take her first breath with her, with her arm on the chest, it was just like so full on and I could see the three of them there together, I, the picture of her mum and Zoe and her daughter. Yeah. It was amazing. I'll never forget it. No, oh, it's just it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. Every bird does. Yeah. <laughs> you can't oh, not. I they bet. can't not. Uh, but, oh, you're such a special yeah, person. This was this was amazing. This was amazing. Oh. The joy, the joy in the room. It was palpable. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I mean everyone, there was not a dry eye in the room. Um, it was just absolutely stunning. And the energy, the birth high that I rode for weeks after that, you know, flashing back to her birth and flashing back to messages that we had sent each other prior to the birth and, you know, were all so critical. The mindset and the communication between the doula and the mother is just so incredible to establish that relationship so that we can... You know, I can hold space for her to birth that way. It's um, it's really special, special stuff. I've got my whole body right now is just mm. <laughs> to relive that with you is beautiful. I'm really honoured. Um, I just can't wait for her to hear this. You know, I just have a couple more questions. One, I guess, is about um, Benji. You've spoken about him a little bit already, but talk to us about sort of how he was in the room and in the birth and what I heard from him and her was his presence and I just wanted to get your perspective on that. He is just the most divine man. What's so funny is that, um, you know, we're huge football fans at home here, right? <laughs> My husband used to play in the reserves for Balmain Tigers, um, you know, years and years and years ago. So we're a big footy fan over here. And in the first conversations that I've had with Zoe, she said, if I go into labour, <laughs> I'll have to tell my husband to get off the footy field. And I was like, um, okay. <laughs> I didn't realise it was Benji Marshall. So that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> and then when I walked in on the day of, and opened the room and there's Benji Marshall standing there and I was like, oh, okay, that's why she had to... <laughs> <laughs> That's why she was worried about that. It was so funny. Um, but he was beautiful. He's just, you know, not what you would expect at all. You know, he's mm. so present and so down to earth. You know, everything that you hear about him, like my husband had always said, you know, Benji Marshall's the best, um, you know, the best football player there is out there just because he's so kind. Everybody knows that he's a beautiful, beautiful man. Um and he was exactly that. I mean, she must have sent him down to the foyer six or eight times to get three <laughs> cups. <laughs> that and he, every time he's like, "Okay, babe, okay, babe." You know, his demeanor just never shifted and changed. He was just so encouraging her. You know, with her, he was. You know, he said things like most beautiful language. Sometimes I really struggle with the language that. You know, fathers say to women in birth, not they don't do it intentionally, but I know that it's not you know, maybe particularly the right language to be using. Um, like, how long is this going to take? 
they how painful does that mean? Those kinds of things, you know. But Benji was just like, you've got to become it. You've just got to let it through you. You've got to oh. be, you know, you've got to be a tribal woman. And I was like, yes, you know. Oh. I was like, this is going to be a good day, you know. And when I, that first contraction that I, the first contraction that she had when I arrived, I will also never forget because that was the first one where I feel like you establish a bond. It's like, you know, the movie Avatar when you go looking for your dragon and you have to choose the dragon, but the dragon's also got to choose you. I feel like that happens with that first contraction with women in labor is making the bond. And the first contraction that she had after I'd walked into the room, I got down really low with her and I made the sound that she should be making with her. I watched her for a couple of seconds and immediately, you know, saw what I could do, offer to help her. And I said, make a sound like this. So I took a big breath in next to her and made the sound. And I could see Benji got it straight away. He was like, yes, this is how we need to do this and he listened to that sound and he started to make the sound with her a couple of times as well so he was very very in tune with um with her and also with not just grounding her and staying with her but also running out of the room and getting all the things that she needed <laughs> and coming back really quickly he was beautiful he said he got to skip the queue because he's like my wife's in labor and she needs fruit cups <laughs> <laughs> And he was he's very speedy. He's very efficient. <laughs> oh. um, and bless his heart, you know, he got all his gear off and got in the shower with her. You know, he was so quick to, you know, get in there with her. I know that, um, you know, we, I showed him how to do the rebozo work, the last lot of OMP together to relax her belly and around ligaments. And he, you know, he did that for a little while too. He has, the poor love had broken fingers, so even though, you know, his fingers were broken, he still wanted to give it a go, you know, because he wanted to be part of that with her and to feel his baby, which is so beautiful. Um, oh. He was so in tune with her every step of the way. And he, they're like that. You know, That's what they're like all the time. Her, oh, they're just divine, you know. He breathed with her. He held her up. He, you know, he let her slump over his body, um, you know, when we got, you know, because the focus is always, always on the mum and we got Zoe out of the shower and she wanted to get out of the shower and got all her all dried up and poor Benji was left in the shower <laughs> wet in his eyes. <laughs> I was like, oh, Benji. He's a towel. <laughs> but he didn't care. He didn't care. He was just like, look after Zoe. Don't worry about me. Look after Zoe. Um and, you know, then he came over to the bed. He was right there next to her every step of the way. He cried with her. We got the photo of her mum right in front of her and she said she needed her mum. He just kept telling her, we're doing this for our baby. We're going to meet our baby. You're so beautiful. Look at what you're doing. You're so strong. It was just like there was a big patch of time there where, she didn't need me. It was all her and Benji. Um, that that time that she spent labouring on the bed, it was really all her and Benji. Benji got her through there. Um, he got her through the transition. Um, if, you know, if, if he wasn't right there next to her doing that, it, it would have, you know, she wouldn't have passed through those gates as well. Yeah, it was beautiful. He, I could see he trusted the birth. There was no part of him to me that 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 said otherwise. He trusted that process and I think that him saying that to her, not necessarily in words, but by trusting her and her ability um, was everything. It was everything. I, there was not a doubt in my mind that he didn't trust her ability to finish the job or didn't trust that process of birth. Um, from the moment I walked in the door. Um, and that's quite extraordinary for a man. To do. Yeah. Given as well Thank that he'd you. experienced what he'd experienced last time too. Mm. Amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Well, just thank you to Zoe and Benji for having me.
it's such an honour to be part of people's lives that way. It really is such a gift um, for whatever they think that I did for them. It is tenfold for what they did for me that day. You're beautiful. Now, I hope you realise that when this goes live, everyone's going to want to book you to be their doula. So get ready. <laughs> yeah, they better call me as soon as they can because I book out. <laughs> yeah, I bloody bet you do. Yeah. Um, thank yeah. you truly um, for all of that and oh, for, thank you. for sharing your perspective. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to do this because um, – you know, this is such important stuff for people to hear. Um, it's just how powerful birth is for families, for communities, for um, for human beings. It's just, it's everything. It's everything. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.